I started this business initially to fill a void in my life. I moved to the city. I missed the greenery under my feet and all around me. So I really wanted to create a connection or a way to connect people with plants, knowing that more people were living in the city, more people were spending time behind their computer or their phone or just addicted to the technology in our lives. So how do we let people connect with plants in a really easy and fun way? As the company has matured and as we've gotten bigger and been able to talk to more people, the the mission has become so much richer. So we talk now about enriching people's lives through a connection to plants. It's not just about home decor and it's not just about making it easy. You know, Amazon makes things easy. That's fine. Like we're really talking about unlocking people's ability to grow as humans through connecting them with plants. Growth. It's part of every entrepreneur's journey. For Mama Pernista and founder Eliza Blank, it's at the heart of the experience and nature of her amazing business. Her company, The Sill, offering locally easy to care for quality houseplants shipped right to your door, is a rising star of startups, innovating the not so new basic premise of having a plant in your home or office. Coming up, You'll hear about her breakup with a business partner, the complex logistics of shipping countless houseplants virtually everywhere, why a board of advisors holding you accountable as a solo founder is important, pursuing a passion, building a business, solving your own problem, literally growing up in your business, and how your plant just may be a reflection of your life. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So you founded the Sill. In 2012, when you were 26 years old, which was awesome. We were also very young when we started our business. How did you decide to take that leap and and start the business? It's a great question. And it's a question I get really often, actually. So I've had a lot of time to reflect back on how I came to start this business or or really what was that final push. I usually tell entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs that you have to do it when you get to this moment of it's almost impossible not to do it. Mm -hmm. You wake up thinking about it. You spend all your free time working on it. You're obsessing about the customer. And it gets to a point where you just can't ignore it. It is like an itch that you have to scratch. So I had initially come up with the idea in college. I started my career in brand strategy. I then had the opportunity to work for a startup. And all along, I think in some ways, subconsciously, I was just building this toolbox to start this business because when I initially had the idea, I just didn't know what to do with it, but I knew I wanted to pursue it. Where were you when you had this idea in college? What was Take us back to that moment. Sure. Yeah. So I was attending NYU. I studied communications. And even to back up further, I grew up in Massachusetts in a somewhat rural part of the state. So I'm from Western Massachusetts, not Boston. Grew up with grass under my feet, came to New York to study communications at NYU. And my first living situation was a two-bedroom apartment converted into a four-person residence for students. I was on the 11th floor 
of a dorm room overlooking Washington Square Park. So mind you, in my hometown, the tallest building is maybe three stories, and it's like our city hall. (laughs) So I was immediately removed from nature and realized at that time that it actually had meaning to me. I didn't think about it on a day-to-day basis growing up, but here I am in New York City, and it's bleak. So as I started studying communications, and then I got my first internship in brand strategy, it occurred to me very soon that... I was sort of grappling with a problem that I could then identify as a consumer problem, and then I could then identify as one that could be solved with brand. So in some ways, it was very much my own experience of wanting to incorporate plants and not knowing how to do that, and then realizing because I was in brand strategy that it was a problem that brand could solve. Well, you, did you guys graduate the same time from NYU? Possibly. What year did you graduate? 2007. I graduated in 2009, so we did overlap. I feel like I had a similar story. I mm-hmm. actually grew up in New York, but after okay. I graduated, which was 2009, the, it was the height of the recession, and there yeah. were no jobs, so I ended up in rural Massachusetts in you guys Worcester, swapped. actually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I don't know. Were you, did you grow up close to Worcester? I'm further west. I'm, okay. like, closer to the Berkshires. So oh, okay. in many ways, I'm, like, closer to New York State or Vermont. Um, oh, okay. But I'm familiar with Worcester. I went to field <laughs> hockey camp in Worcester. Yeah. Well, I didn't spend a lot of time there. Miss New York, came back after about two years, yeah. uh, and then started this business with Stephanie about a year later. But, but yeah, I feel like we lived kind of somewhat parallel lives. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when people ask, you know, how did I come up with this idea? It was... As many founders, especially in the consumer space, it was an experience that I personally had. It was a problem that I wanted to solve for myself. How long were you working in brand strategy at? It was a corporate company that you're working at? I was working at an agency, um, an Omnicom agency called Wolf Olin's, which is downtown, still exists. Um, Fantastic agency. I was there for about two years. First year was as an intern finishing up school. And then it was really my first year out of school that I was then there officially full-time as a strategist. And then did you start this business on the side of your full-time job. How did you launch this? So I initially had the idea around that time. So finishing up school, starting to work in brand strategy, understanding what brand meant. But as I mentioned, while I had the idea, I didn't know what to do with it. I hadn't actually operationalized anything. So the great thing about strategy and agency work is you get to work on sort of all types of different problems. You can be somewhat category agnostic. You can really... Um, think creatively and strategically, but it's not the same thing as being in-house and understanding like what the day-to-day grind looks like. So I had an opportunity to go client-side, as they say, and I ended up going to work for Living Proof, which is a hair care mm-hmm. company, but it was a startup at the time. I moved to Boston, and that was when I really earned my operational chops to start the sill. I did create my first business plan while I was still at Living Proof nights and weekends. And I believe the timing was somewhere along the lines of initial initial realization that I could actually build a business plan uh, was in 2011, then built the business plan and then worked up the courage to actually quit my job February of 2012. What was that moment like? It was just, to me, it was just so obvious. But I think there was other things in play. So I can't say that it was like that crystal clear because I also wanted to move back to New York, which they actually allowed me to do. So I was living in, I had already moved back to New York and I was going back and forth to Boston. So, you know, in some ways, I think it was just a matter of, uh, I was starting to sort of disconnect from the company. I knew I had this business plan that was like, you know, 
just burning a hole in my pocket. It was like money you want to spend, which is funny because you do spend money starting a business. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just went for it. And you used Kickstarter to start your business. I did, yes. I think it was very naive of me to think that you can just start a business. Of course you need money. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) I actually quit my job and then realized that it was going to take some amount of money to get the business started, even though at the time building a website was relatively inexpensive and tools like Shopify already existed, we still needed to be able to buy product and, you know, that was it. I mean, you're selling a product, you need to buy that product first. How much money did you need to start this business? We raised $12,000, which at the time felt like a huge amount of money. um, I think the goal was maybe 10, we did 12. Um, It wasn't anything you know, it wasn't like breaking news. It wasn't like a Kickstarter that like had a goal of 10,000 and like raised a million because there were Kickstarters like that. But it was the first point of validation for the business for sure. And you say we, who was involved in the business at the time? Yeah. So I co-founded the SIL with a colleague of mine from Living Proof. And I had sold her on the idea when we were both contemplating what was next for us in our career. And I said, you know, I'm going to move back to New York City, or I think I'd already moved back at that time. And I said, I've been noodling on this business plan. And, you know, this is why I'm really excited by it. And this is what I think it can be. And, you know, as I started talking about it, I got so excited and animated. And I think she just fed off that energy. And she was like, I think that's a great idea. Anyways, without much thought, we ended up deciding, oh, let's just do this together because we've worked together and we, you know, admire each other and respect each other. It lasted all of, you know, maybe six months before we realized that we had completely different ambitions for what this brand could be. And certainly because it was mine, I had the biggest. Um, and I was also learning along the way that it was going to take more complementary skill sets. And in fact, we had very similar skill sets. So there, the lessons learned there were those that you read about, like, it's like pretty standard stuff. They're right about it in books and blogs now, like what to avoid when you're co-founding, but we just didn't know. So it was, it ended up being a pretty amicable split. That's what I was going to ask. What was the breakup like? Yeah. I mean, it was hard at the time. We were, you know, obviously we were younger. Did you have an operating agreement? We did have an operating agreement. It wasn't really, it wasn't enough. So there was still enough for us to like get heated over because it just didn't answer the, the, the issue at hand. Because of course you create an operating agreement. It's like, a prenup. It's like you kind of do it, but you assume it's never going to come into play. But the reality is, is you should really do it with the idea that it is going to come into play. So there were still some unanswered questions that we had to go back and forth on and, and, and figure out a fair solution for. And I think it was difficult because we were young and, and emotions run high, especially when it's something that you've created. So it, it was challenging. I think it was a really good lesson for me to learn because it it showed me how resilient you actually have to be to build yeah. a business and how passionate you have to be. So you were six months in at that time. So how far along in the business so we had, operations yeah, were you? So we had already launched the website. So we'd done the Kickstarter. We had launched the website. We were actively selling product. We were out promoting. You know our names are impressed together back in 2012. But I think the partnership, if I if I recall correctly, I think maybe officially dissolved by October. We launched in June of 2012. And I think by October, it was a dissolved relationship. But we had also started prior yeah. to the launch. So it was tricky. Did you have employees at that time? Do you have anyone? We to- didn't. We did not. It was just the two of us, which 
I think is lucky because I've heard of this happening, you know, much later. And, you know, that can have a really, that can have a really big impact on the team and morale and all these things. So we, we caught ourselves early. I think it was, it was the right thing to do to um, figure that out before hiring anyone. I mean, and it was also really early. We couldn't yeah. have afforded to hire anyone. So walk us through what happened next, because now you're running this business by yourself. You don't have that <laughs> counterpart to be talking to and bouncing ideas off of yeah. every day. I mean, it's funny. I look back on that and I'm like, how did I not just quit? What was I thinking? Because also the, you know, obviously there's a cost associated with dissolving a relationship. I mean, I'd basically, you know, gone back down to zero. We had agreed that, you know, we'd each put in a little bit of our own savings and we agreed that she would pull obviously her piece back out. So it was now just, you know, me and a laptop and a desk and this idea that had sort of come to life, but was in its nascent stage. Uh, that's actually when I went and brought on my first teammate. And um, our brand director today, seven years later, was that person. So Aaron Marino, who's our director of brand marketing, started with me right out of school. I believe it was literally in response to a Craigslist ad that I posted because that's how you hired back then. It is. Yeah, we did 2012. We, did. we got yeah, our first right? interns on Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. And people look at me like I'm such a creep when I say that. But I'm like, no, it was totally appropriate. Yeah, that's to what hire you did in 2012 and 2013. We yeah. did it. Yeah. So she found me. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do yet in her career. She had just graduated. I think she was volunteering at like the ASPCA and um, just trying to decide if she was going to go back to school. And we hit it off. And she, you know, was just a really strong contributor from day one. And luckily, she's with me like seven, eight years later. That's amazing. Why do you why do you think she stayed with you for the past seven, eight years? <laughs> You'll have to ask her that. But, you know, I think it's exciting when you find a mission that you align with and that you have the ability to create such strong impact. You know, I think that's what people ultimately want in the world today, especially, is to actually have impact and not just be a cog. And so when you're employee number two, or really, I mean, the first employee outside of the founder, everything you do has impact. So I think there's a lot of gratification and instant feedback in that. And I think it just kept both of us motivated. Have you raised money at all or had to? I bootstrapped for five years, which was challenging. I've now raised over $13 million, wow. but that's also challenging. Yep. Full-time um, job to do that too, right? Also very time-consuming <laughs> and a full-time job. So, you know, having lived both experiences, I'm glad that I've raised money, but it brings a totally different set of challenges um, that bootstrapping does, but they're both equally hard. When did you know that, okay, it's time to raise money? So I always had really big ambitions for the business and the brand, and I would probably say that I w always wanted to raise money. But I also knew that I wasn't in a position to. I was, you know, a solo female founder selling houseplants. It took a while for sort of the, I don't know, the population of investors to get on board with, with those types of ideas. And I had some pretty lofty goals that I wanted to reach prior to sitting across from an investor. I think I needed to validate. I needed more validation than, than most um, in order to go ask for that kind of money. How many employees were you up to before you raised money? Probably like eight. Eight employees, okay. Yeah, it wasn't large. I mean, yeah. it wasn't large. 
And part of the challenge that comes with raising money is ramping and actually just purely scale. Yep. Um, and not even scaling, you know, scaling operations is hard, but scaling a team is really hard. Have you found it difficult to learn how to now delegate and give up some of your – It's my favorite thing yeah. to do. Here, do this. Yeah. I'm so good at it. I. Ooh, what am, are some tips? <laughs> I, am, I, I don't know. You know, I think because I bootstrapped for five years and I spent so much time doing the work myself, and I mean like literally like driving cargo vans, plunging toilets, like working in the stores. The minute I had the resources, I was like, you do this. And and I don't mean just delegating like literally the dirty work. I mean, I'm, I'm really good at delegating now everything because the reality is, is I have a vision for this company and I can steer the ship, but I now know that I'm not going to be the best person at marketing. Mm -hmm. My marketing career ended when I was 26. So, you know, my qualifications for marketing is a 26-year-old in a company. I would much prefer to bring in someone who has a 15-year career in marketing to drive our marketing team. So, and same thing across the board. We're in a very operationally complex business. We now have retail. I want experts to do each of those things so long as I'm still steering the ship. Talk to us about those operational challenges and how complex it is. It's so complex. We ship live houseplants across the country. There's agricultural departments to deal with on a state-level basis. There's obviously just the challenge of shipping a perishable product. There's weather. There's weight of boxes, cost of shipping, expectations of the customer now with Amazon. Mm. It's a very operationally complex business. Another thing I didn't anticipate when I started because, you know, I didn't think about when you're 26 and you have an idea, you're not thinking about, oh, but at scale five years from now, how am I going to ship hundreds of thousands of plants across the country? At the time, you're like super psyched to deliver five. So you're just not thinking like that far ahead. But obviously, that's where we are now. So Had you known what you know now back then, do you think you would have started your business? Well, I love what I do. So, you know, yes and no. Maybe I would have approached it slightly differently, but we're evolving too. So, you know, we can do whatever we want. So, um, in many ways, I think, I think the, I think the simple answer is yes. I still would have because I love and am proud of what we've built, even though it's really hard. Coming up, the complex logistics of shipping countless house plants virtually everywhere. What have you learned about yourself in running this business? Well, you know, I think well, – I talk, well, so I will say, like, I, I'm an open book. So I talk about a lot of different aspects of my business and my life and how those things intertwine and how they've come to be. But what I think is is interesting is the fact that I have grown up running this mm-hmm. business. I mean, being 26 and starting a business and now being – 34 and married with a kid and still running this business means I've really grown up along the way. And so a lot of the mistakes that I made or a lot of the things that have, you know, contributed to the success of this company has really, in my opinion, been linked to my ability as a human to grow up. Mm. And I think if I wasn't so focused on my ability to grow up, <laughs> which is funny because I'm like, if I write a book for the SIL, it's going to be called Grow Up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I know. Then I don't think we would be successful because 
you know, you do have to be able to lead a team and that team needs to be able to look up to you in ups and downs. And they might be older than you, they might be much younger than you. And so you have to like really figure out yourself fast because there's so many other things that can undermine your success and you can just get thrown Mm. off by your own inability to mature fast Mm. enough. You are not only the founder of this incredibly successful company, but you're also a new mom, which is another big role. You're probably the yes. CEO of your your household now, too. Well, I think my <laughs> nanny is the CEO yeah. of my household, actually. <laughs> what was that transition like? I'm also a new mom. Yeah. I have an almost five-month-old. And I know for me, it was just like this – those first few months after you have a baby, for me at least, my brain like did not work for those two mm-hmm. months. But then you're still – trying to run a company Mm -hmm. and raise a new human. Like, what was that like for you? So it's interesting because I keep telling people that being an entrepreneur, and I don't know, maybe you had a different experience, but really prepared me to have a kid. Because this idea of being overwhelmed, overworked, tired, and lonely, and stressed is how I would actually describe (laughs) running a business and being a mom. But like you do it because you love it so much. Like I love my company and I love my daughter. And so like I ignore all those other feelings to some extent. But I didn't grapple with some of those emotions because I was already living those emotions so deeply Mm -hmm. every day. And, you know, my maternity leave as like chaotic and crazy as it sounds like was my vacation. Like, that's the only vacation I've had in, like, a year was, like, my maternity leave, which is not a vacation. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not. Did you take that time for yourself? I did. How long did you take? I took eight weeks. You know, and it sounds like you may have had this experience, but my daughter slept a lot in those first eight weeks. She pretty much was always sleeping, not in the right hours, but, like, (laughs) a lot of daytime sleeping. And I was just so used to being so busy and like productive that I was kind of still working throughout. So my, I've never really, you know, people are always like, what, how do you balance? It's like, I don't really know how to answer that question because it's whatever works for you. And, you know, I raised our series A while I was five months pregnant and I raised more money like really right coming out of maternity. So it's just always been a part of my life. Work has always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so now I just have this one other thing to manage too. But it has forced me to take better care of myself yeah. and know that there's so many things we waste time on. So I think that's like the the lesson learned is it really forces you to prioritize yeah. and, and realize that you waste a lot of time doing things. We hear a lot about the challenges that women have raising money and the fact that you raised money while you were pregnant and even while you're on maternity leave is mm-hmm. unfortunately an amazing accomplishment yeah. in the world that we're living today. So congratulations. Oh, thank but you. what tips would you have for women who are also <laughs> looking to raise money in the same situation? It's challenging. I mean... I have so much respect for women who've been through this before because there's just – there's nothing – there's no advantages for women who are either pregnant or have just given birth in the world of fundraising. I mean, I was literally pitching people over the phone while pumping or having to connect to an executive assistant before meeting with an investor to tell her that I was going to need to pump right after our meeting and that, like, someone was going to have to put a chair in the bathroom for me. Actually, I think being pregnant, too, was challenging in its own way 
because you have to just make sure you rest and drink water and feed yourself. And then there's the question of when when in the process do I tell this person that I'm pregnant? Um, Which is so hard because you feel like you just want to be able to talk about it and share. And like, are you going to be judged? Are are they not going to want to give you money because – right? And that's not fair. Right. No, it's not. So, I mean, it was so funny because I was so caught up in my own anxiety about it that when I told the investor, who was a woman, actually, that I was pregnant, it didn't occur to me that her answer could have been and was, oh, me too. And we ended up delivering a week apart. And it was just like the stars aligned. And I had found this investor who now sits on my board, who it was actually her third child. But I was still like so caught up with myself that I was like, oh, you know, I'm talking to a woman who may be okay with this. And guess what? She was. So, you know, that's not to say that's everyone's experience. And it's not to say that, you know, that wasn't that didn't make it easier. And that was only one round. I still had to raise another round following maternity leave. But, you know. I I just feel for all working moms. It's not easy. It's not even close. I have to ask you this because you brought up pumping and I had no idea what it was going to be like to be back at work and be pumping and have now recently discovered actually through Facebook ads uh-huh. the LV pump where you don't have to be attached to a plug. Do you yeah. know about this? Yeah. You stick it in your bra. Yeah. I have it here actually. So if you haven't seen it, I'll show it to you when we when we take a little break. But it has been life-changing. 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 So I didn't make the commitment because insurance didn't cover it and I was kind of just like cheap about it. And I had heard mixed reviews. So I was like, oh, am I going to spend $600 on this thing that's going to make things mildly easier? But I'm still – at the end of the day, my biggest thing was I have to pump and mm-hmm. I have to, like, take a break from whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I'm the kind of person who doesn't even want to, like, break to eat lunch. So to, like, break to do that was just also challenging. And nobody told me how frequently you yeah. have to take a break. Like, spending three hours a day pumping is – Significant. Yes. It's a second. It's another job. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That was the one thing that I really, really wasn't prepared for. I definitely wasn't either. But I'm telling you now from a dedicated okay. LV customer, so if you time, do choose to have another they can, child. They can sponsor this one. Yes, there you go. It is <laughs> like it has been life changing the past few weeks. Yeah. Because the first two months I was back. I was just connected to this machine in my office all day, and I just felt isolated, and it was just so stressful. Oh, I was like in a glorified storage closet. Yeah, and (laughs) it doesn't have to be that way. So yeah, yeah, right before you got here this morning, I was just pumping in here, just put it in my bra. Yeah, I love it. Ran to the bat was went to the bathroom with it in. So definitely okay. It was worth every penny. (laughs) All right, I'm taking mental notes. So, what does your typical day look like now, running a business and taking care of a almost one-year-old. Yeah. So I, I wake up at 6.30 every morning, seven days a week. <laughs> um, and she gets up around seven. So I try and get ready for work so that I'm nearly ready before she wakes up yep. so that like the minute she goes back down again, I'm out the door. I get to hang out with her really until like 8.30 is when I try and leave. Now her first nap's 9.30, so I do miss part of her morning, but I get to hang out with her. I'm usually at my desk by 8.45. I have a very early team. I don't know why or how that worked out culturally. We don't monitor people's time, but like my my team is like at their desk at like 7.45. Like I am the last person in the office wow. when I roll in at like 9 o'clock. It's very remarkable. So – but my day is always different, and that's actually what I love about the stage of this company now is that I get to really diversify 
my days. I could be at a conference. I could be doing a podcast. I could be in a strategic meeting. I could be interviewing someone. I could be going over plans or meeting with an agency or with investors. Obviously, I'm in a lot of meetings. Um, that's that's definitely sort of the the theme here. But uh, I do get to do a lot of different things, um, and I I love that. How big is your team now? So we have about 25 in the corporate office here in New York. Um, total headcount is near 80 across our distribution centers and retail. Do you have an HR person? We have two people people, um, <laughs> and I could not do it without them. They really are sort of the the lifeblood of the company. It's not enough to be – well, especially, you know, as a CEO founder, I am away a lot. And, and then so you need sort of someone as your proxy to make sure that everybody is um, motivated and – clear on what they're doing and how they're doing it and, you know, just making sure people are connecting and communicating and, you know, really reflecting the values. So my people team is outstanding. How did you find your people people? Mm -hmm. And how did how were you sure to instill your values for the company with them to be sure they were, you know, mm -hmm. sharing that with the team? And that's the culture that continues when you're out of the office. Yeah. So I mean, I learned early on. So early days, I definitely hired a lot of people who didn't align with my value set. And those were hard, hard lessons to learn. And I think early days, you're kind of just like, oh, this person's willing to work for me. Like, I'll just take them because like, I couldn't possibly deserve better than whatever is like coming to my door. Uh, I'm over that now. So <laughs> I will only hire people who align with the company and, and our value set. And we think about that, whether they're on the people team, or they're in engineering or marketing or at a fulfillment associate. They have to understand, appreciate, and find alignment with our values. And we really, we put that in every weekly one-on-one -on -one meeting all the way through our performance. What are your values? Effectively, customer happiness is our number one value, yeah. right? We're, we are doing this in service of the customer. Plants make people happy. That's our motto. That's why we get out of bed every morning. Um, it's our goal to enrich people's lives through plants. So everyone needs to understand that this is a mission-based business and be excited by that. Always a startup is our second value. So as we get bigger, it's really easy to get slow or complacent or this or that. But we really do have this startup mentality baked into the DNA of the company. And that could mean a lot of things, but it should come through in your willingness to try things and take risks and be scrappy or, you know, wear different hats. The gold standard is another one. And I think that just speaks to our new focus on rigor and really understanding the implications of everything that we do. So thinking things through all the way to the end and really wanting to put out a good product. And that product could be what you're specifically working on or what the, what the company is delivering on. The team before me, that is incredibly important. I think that uh, speaks volumes to kind of just the company that I want to build, um, you know, not it's going to take everyone like this company won't be successful just because I'm here. Like it's going to take every single person contributing at their highest capacity to to make this company a success. And I think I've forgotten one. So you'll have to come back to me. But those are important ones. Obviously, those are the ones that stood out. But we only have five. So I think I hit four. Yeah. Well, um, well, we'll definitely come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really great values. Yes. Yeah. And I want to learn more about them. But I also want to learn more about 
you know, you talked about how hard your operations are and how complex mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. How, how, where are these plants coming from? Are you growing them? Or? <laughs> Thankfully, we're not. We get a lot of questions like, oh, when are you going to vertically integrate? Like, this isn't like a razor blade. This is not just a matter of like going to buy a, a, a factory in Germany. Um, Growing plants in and of itself is a very complex business because you have, I mean, first of all, it's it's effectively farming. You have a, a lot of risk in it and you also have a lot of variety. So you could be really good at growing one plant and not really good at growing the other plant. So there's not really a future in which I see us growing the plants How many ourselves. different plants are you selling? I mean, we're selling, you know, at least 30 different types of plants and there's different varieties within those types. So a lot, we're selling a lot of different plants. So we work with growers who've, you know, in many cases are, you know, family run businesses, they're generations into this, they're true experts in it. And it's a domestic supply chain, which is great. So everything is commercially grown in Florida or California or New Jersey or New York. So we're able to work with a lot of folks who, you know, contribute to our different local supply chains. Coming up, why a board of advisors holding you accountable as a solo founder is very important. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneurista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneurista's. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneurista's to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. So something that Stephanie and I love to do is surprise and delight our guests. Mm-hmm. So we have a little present for you next to your chair and your entrepreneurista swag bag. <gasps> Look down. Amazing. So obviously we spent time looking at your Instagram and at your cute little baby girl. So if you open up what's in the <gasps> packaging I there. I love presents. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Do you have that? No, I don't. Well, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Plant baby. That is so sweet. Oh, and Milk Barn is such a great company. Oh, my gosh. She is my plant baby. She, like, has so much weird plant-themed stuff. What Um, does she have? I mean, what are they? We do call those things the mobiles. The mobiles. Does she have plant mobiles? I mean, obviously, because it's an interest of mine. So, like, people get us a lot of plant-themed things. And I'm at some point, she's going to look back at, like, her baby photos and just be like, Mom, you're weird. (laughs) But this is so lovely, and I cannot wait to put her in it. Thank you. Of course. So cute. Oh, and so many other things. Oh, and your book. Thank you. What a, what a delight. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of plants, let's talk about your passion for plants mm-hmm. and what your where. What are your thoughts on where, I guess, the plant industry is is going? Yeah. So, you know, I started this business initially to fill a void in my life. I moved to the city. I missed the greenery under my feet and all around me. So I really wanted to create a connection or a way to connect people with plants, knowing that more people were living in the city, more people were spending time behind their computer or their phone or just addicted to the technology in our lives. So how do we actually let people 
connect with plants in a really easy and fun way. I think my first few experiences with plants was just, I was just killing all of them. And that's not fun. So initially it was, how do we create a brand that makes this easy and accessible and fun and delightful? But I think as the company has matured and as we've gotten bigger and been able to talk to more people, the the mission has become so much richer. So we talk now about enriching people's lives through a connection to plants. It's not just about home decor and it's not just about making it easy. You know, Amazon makes things easy. That's fine. Like we're really talking about unlocking people's ability to grow as humans through connecting them with plants. And, you know, it's every single day we have just the privilege of learning about people's connections to plants and how something as simple as taking care of a plant has completely transformed their life, whether it's they're leading a healthier life, whether it's they've gained confidence in something new, whether it's just they really have found a new hobby or they've met someone else because they came to a workshop of ours that is now a dear friend of theirs. So we see this as so much more than making plants easy. We see this so much more as just being sort of a D to C company that drops plants on your doorstep. I think we see this as a real chance to grow with our customers and inspire personal growth with our customers and and teach them a thing or two um, and hopefully inspire them. So, you know, I think that's that's a much broader mission than what we um, anticipated when we started. And people must really be resonating with this because you have over 600,000 followers on Instagram. So you're doing something right on the marketing front. What has been the success to your growth on social and Instagram? And have you seen that reflect in your sales numbers? Yeah, well, you know, the – there's such an ingrained community when it comes to plants. I mean, we've – we knew this, right? Like there's – there's always been community around plants. There's gardening clubs and there's horticultural societies. It is, in some ways, it's a, it's a, it's an activity you can do privately, but it's, it's something you can both do by yourself and with others. And I think what was missing today, you know, until the silk came in was that sort of modern platform to connect people on because, you know, it's, uh, you know, horticultural societies are kind of elitist and gardening clubs sound like you're going to be like on your hands and knees, like in the ground and and maybe you need a, a, a skill set for that. But, you know, come to the sill and you're going to meet other people like yourself who, you know, are, are interested in plants, but are just interested in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They're interested in health and wellness. They're interested in home decor. They're interested in self-care and interested in just meeting other people like themselves. So, you know, I think that comes through in our brand and our social, you know, we've kind of crack the code on on our Instagram in terms of what people like to see and and how they want to engage. But also just looking at plants is nice. You know, like it's one of those things where I loved the category because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You can just you can look at plants anywhere in any setting. And it's so obvious that it creates an environment that's more warm and inviting and something you want to be a part of. Well, I agree. I mean, we have two beautiful still plants sitting right here (laughs) and you've uh Made the room more warm and inviting. Oh, I'm so glad. Is your apartment just filled with plants? It, yes. It's like a <laughs> yes, jungle it is. in there. How many? <laughs> well, I would say at any given time, I probably have at least 30 plants. Oh, my but, goodness. But um, these are actually from my apartment. And, you know, they're doing okay. Yeah, what's I, the secret to keeping a plant well, there, alive? Well, there, there, there's, there is none, and and quite frankly, it's okay <laughs> if you kill your plants. But I will say, like, uh, 
we said this early on. A good look at your plants is like a, a good look in the mirror. Like your <gasps> plants reflect kind of what's going on. So I have this one plant in my bedroom and and it's dying. And I like keep telling myself because it's in my bedroom. So every time I get into bed, I'm like, I have to water that tomorrow. I have to water that tomorrow. I have to water that tomorrow. And I keep not doing it. And it's like slowly getting more and more sad looking. And I'm like, why am I not taking time to water this plant that's like so desperate? And it's like, it's a cue for you to realize, well, what other things am I, am I ignoring? Um, am I not taking care of myself? Like, if I'm not taking care of this plant, am I also not taking care of myself? Am I not taking care of other things? If this thing is, like, so visibly in need, is that, you know, an inkling that I'm ignoring other things? So, you know, I think mm. plants are a great metaphor for life. I think there's so many positive benefits to having them um, that don't necessarily seem obvious around. And that is one of them is like, if your plants are suffering, something else is going on in your life. Very interesting. Yeah, I have two two plants in my life. Yeah. One at home and one in the office. Okay. And the one that we have in the office, my mom gave to me when we had our second office. So I think it's been around as long as we've had the business. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's good that it's still alive. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but it does need some work. And I yeah. water it. This is going to sound terrible. Yeah. I water it with water that's left over that's from fine. my meeting. Recycling. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. It's, it's better it's than people who are like, work. oh, I dump my coffee in my plant. I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't do that for too long. But <laughs> well, does coffee kill plants? It seems like it would. Not immediately. I mean, some people <laughs> use coffee grounds and compost, but you can't – just like humans, you can't exclusively feed it coffee. <laughs> Interesting. Well, your Instagram is absolutely beautiful, but we know that running a business is not as glamorous mm -hmm. as it looks on Instagram. Share with us about a time you made a mistake and, you know, what happened? Um, I mean, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's interesting. Nothing comes to mind immediately, but I think it's because I've also, uh, uh, mistakes are to be made. And I, I, I've been coaching my team and telling them that if everything's going well, they're effectively never going to learn anything. So I'm forcing them to take risks. And there is this pressure to always be right. I think especially it's like a New York thing. Like we always want to be right. Mm -hmm. And we, we don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And you know, that's just impossible and and in some ways harmful. Well, in many ways harmful. So I make tons of mistakes. I can't think of anything in particular because I think I just make them frequently enough and and I don't I don't think of them as negative necessarily. Who have been your mentors along the way? Um, that's a great question. So a lot of people ask, you know, do I need a mentor? How do I find a mentor? I think you collect mentors pretty organically. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's in, in some respects, it's really good to be able to articulate exactly a problem that you have that you want to solve and then go find someone who can help you solve that. And maybe that's not a mentor, but that's one way to approach it. There's people who will naturally, you'll sort of like meet and gravitate towards and develop relationships with over time. If you really want mentorship, honestly, like I think in the way that people think mentors work, you probably actually need a coach. Like you actually want to maybe pay someone or make sure they are incentivized um, in some way. So, you know, I have advisors for the business and I think of them as mentors. I have board members who I think of as mentors. I don't really have mentors who aren't connected to me um, in, in a way 
that's outside of they're either incentivized or they're just related to me. When did you form your board? When I raised money. Okay. Is that a requirement of raising money? Not always. My investor at my seed round wanted to, and I think it was the best thing I could have done. And it was good because as a solo founder, you have no you ha- you you can lack formality and you can lack sort of accountability. And so having a board, even though it was literally the board was myself and one investor, so it was kind of strange. But it it gave me a reason to pull together my metrics to say. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then to report back on, well, did I do X, Y, and Z? Because you don't have a boss when you're the CEO unless you have a board. So forming a board, I actually think, is is a good move um, for most. All right. Favorite mantra or quote you just live your life by or run your business by? Keep growing. That Uh, is definitely fitting. That's it. That's it. Keep growing. Keep on growing. Keep on growing. What would you say being an entrepreneurista means to you? I think it's about um I think it's about individuality. You know, there's there's never your the whole point about being an entrepreneur is you're being you're a trailblazer and you're innovating and you're trying to do something different. So, I love your spin on it because it sort of adds that like it, you know, it takes it one step further in terms of, you know, ownership of like it's it's for me and how I want to do things. So, I think it's all about being the boss and paving your own way and never looking back and not being apologetic about it. I couldn't agree more. And last tip to the entrepreneurista audience to help their plants grow. Yes. What is it? <laughs> the uh, most important question. The most important question. Sunlight. Plants need sunlight. We are very solution-oriented at the sill, so we will help you find a plant that is right for you. If you don't have a lot of bright light. If you have a pet or a young child at home, if you are a beginner, we will help you find the right plant. But you have to remember that sunlight is food for plants. So we all have to think back to eighth grade photosynthesis. Plants need to have sun to survive. And conversely, water is also really important and is the number one way we kill our plants is we overwater them. So Mm. it is better to underwater and course correct than overwater, which is very difficult to What is overwatering and how much water does a plant need? Sure. Well, every plant needs a different amount of water. And and in fact, there's so many other variables that go into it, right? Because if it's on a bright, sunny, hot windowsill, that water is going to evaporate much faster than if it's on a coffee table, you know, far away from a window. So I actually, you know, throw caution at customers who are like, well, I follow the instructions exactly. It's like, well, the instructions are guidance and they're directional, but everyone has a different environment. So you have to be willing to engage with the plant. It's not a, you know, it's not a robot. You have to actually learn and and um, appreciate the environment that it's in. So, but you don't want to drown your plant. You should never water a wet plant. That's the best Never thing. Water I can a wet say. plant. Yeah. This is oh good. My I gotta, this is I gotta write all of this. I think I need a plant expert. <laughs> that's the only thing you learn yeah, from this entire time, time to together. Just don't water a wet plant. All right. Never water a wet plant. I've got this. I gotta write it down. <laughs> Where can everyone find you, follow you, buy your products on your website? I know you have yes. physical locations now. Yeah. So we're omnichannel, which means you can shop with us online at thesill.com. You can also find us in stores, our own stores. They're in New York 
LA and San Francisco. We'll be opening um, more stores in the near future. So we're really excited about that. And when you shop with us online, you can shop by solution, as I mentioned. So best for beginners, easy for pet owners, easy for low light. We also have subscriptions. So if you want to set it and forget it and have beautiful plants arrive at your doorstep every day, we can do that for you as well. So there's a lot of different ways to shop with us. And um, we hope your listeners will find a plant they love. I love that. And I know you shared you're going to give us a special code for the month of February, you guys. Yes. So for the month of February, in honor of Valentine's Day, we're giving the audience 15% off if they use the code Entreprenista. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I learned so much. And now maybe I'll stop killing my plants. So (laughs) thank you. Well, we know where to find replacement plants. Yes, (laughs) perfect. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Thanks for listening.